There certainly are plenty of support jobs and managerial jobs out there that actually make a lot of sense for those specifically in the hospitality industry that lost their jobs because they were so impacted and people that have a lot of experience in service businesses, whether in restaurants or whatever. You don't have to be a good salesperson to be good in the real estate business. There are absolutely managerial jobs that are out there. We have franchisees that run multiple offices that are always looking for managers of salespeople that can coach salespeople to be better salespeople. That was real estate executive Rich DiNicola speaking about some of the many opportunities that residential real estate will provide over the next several years, in this case, to those who have previously worked in the hospitality industry. Residential real estate trends, opportunities, and the future, and how you might capitalize on those will again be our focus on this episode, episode number 82 of Looking Forward. Welcome to Looking Forward, where we speak with experts about marketplace and societal trends, and most importantly, how they might affect you. I'm Jeff Ostroff, the host of Looking Forward. If you're like me, you're fascinated by trends in the future. In fact, several years ago, that was one of the things I focused on in a book I wrote. Well, hello, Looking Forward listeners. Thanks for tuning in. Today on Looking Forward, we're again going to focus on residential real estate. In part one of this two-part series, episode number 81, we looked at how the residential real estate industry has evolved over the past few decades and how that industry differs in the United States versus some other parts of the world. We also looked at COVID-19's dramatic impact on the industry, and we heard what concerns our guest expert most about residential real estate these days. In part two of this Looking Forward series, we've brought back that same guest expert, Rich DiNicola, to discuss where he sees residential real estate going over the next few years and what opportunities he thinks that will offer. We'll also ask Rich to provide some advice to those who are looking to buy or sell a home. To reintroduce Rich DiNicola, he currently serves as the Chief Operating Officer for the Realogy Expansion Brands, which includes Better Homes and Gardens Real Estate and ERA. Rich is responsible for domestic and international business operations, financial management, franchise performance consulting products and partnerships, network engagement, and brand growth strategy for the portfolio. Prior to his current role, Rich served as Chief Operating Officer of Better Homes and Gardens Real Estate, as well as Senior Vice President of Membership Development there. During his tenure, the brand more than doubled its franchise office count and expanded to 16 new states and the Bahamas. Before joining Better Homes and Gardens Real Estate, Rich served as National Vice President of Franchise Sales for Coldwell Banker, overseeing the brand growth and mergers acquisition strategies in both the United States and Canada. He has served in a variety of sales and operational roles for Realogy Franchise Group since 2004. Rich, as you know, the essence of looking forward is about looking into the future. So given everything that you've spoken about, everything you've seen, in what ways do you see the residential real estate business changing over the next few years? We'll just keep it into the 20s for now, yeah. even the next three or five years for that matter. 
How might it change, for example, in terms of the competition, how consumers will purchase homes, where people will move, anything that might be of a more global nature? Yeah, sure. So first and foremost, as I, as I think about some of the things that are new to the real estate industry over the last couple of years that were rising, I would say, in, in terms of um, notoriety, there's this concept called iBuying. Not sure if you're familiar with that, Jeff, or if your, mm -hmm. your listeners are. So there's a few companies out there that have provided a service. Well, I should say, you know, we're, we're the ones really providing the service, but there's there's companies out there that, that go out and essentially buy blocks of properties or one property at a time even. And what they will do is, is they'll, they'll basically be a cash buyer. They'll go out to a consumer and, and say, hey, you know, I'll give you such and such dollars for your property. And it's typically a discount to what the property is worth. And they will go and then put some sort of investment into the property and flip it. But they do it in such a way that they're making for a much quicker consumer transaction where, you know, it's a guaranteed cash offer close in 15 days, which takes off for many people, a lot of the hassles of the home selling process where, you know, you got to go negotiate with somebody, you've got to draw contracts up with an attorney, you've got to, you know, then have, you know, in some states an attorney review process, then you have to, you know, wait on mortgages to be approved. And you have to go through this whole process that may take 45 to 90 days to, to close the transaction, or you can, sell your property at a discount to one of these iBuyers that gives you the ability to close on a property in, in 15 days. So that has risen in popularity. They're growing market share, I think, quickly. One of the things that we've done at Realogy is that and we think we've got the best iBuyer offering now in the industry because we have partnered with a company called Home Partners of America, which was recently acquired by uh, Blackstone and they go out and you know what we're doing with them is they've become the buyer of the properties and what what ultimately happens is we give our real estate agents the ability to go on a listing appointment with a consumer in the markets where we're operating this product RealShore and the real estate agent can sit in front of the consumer and say hey Mr. consumer Mrs. consumer we're willing to pay you X dollars for your home. This is a guaranteed cash offer for 45 days. But by the way, we'll also list your property for 45 days. And if you get a higher price than what we're willing to offer, you take it, no harm, no foul. It's giving the consumer the best of both worlds um, where they can go and try and list the property and get the po best possible sale for their home. But if that's not going to work out, then they can use the real the, the real short offer and close 15 days from then and, and move on. So we really like that product. We think that's the best solution for consumers. We don't really love this concept of consumers selling their home at a six or 7% discount just to avoid the hassles of the moving process, because we think that people are giving up a lot of equity to do that. And we'd rather be better real estate advisors and coaches to the consumers and, and go out and try and get them the best price for the property. We really like that product. You know, that's on the selling side of the home. Um, you know, and then you're also seeing on the buy side, there are companies out there that are, are doing now what's called power buying, where they're making people appear to be cash buyers because in this environment that's been created over the last two years, you know, for a while you were seeing 15, 20, 25 offers on a home. And typically people, you know, are going to go where there's less contingencies uh, being offered by the buyer. Being a buyer with a mortgage contingency means that you know the bank's got to approve you as a buyer, and that takes time to do it. So sellers are likelier to go with a buyer that doesn't have a mortgage contingency or other contingencies built in the contract. So now you're starting to see these different financing trends that really give consumers the ability to act as cash buyers, and it's really getting loans ahead of time to go out and effectuate the transaction and make it happen. So I think you're going to see that 
probably grow a bit. Uh, in fact, we're, we're, we're launching a real short buy component. We'll have the real short sell component, which is what I outlined. We're going to do something on the real short buy side too, but you're going to see more and more of those companies. So I think that's going to be what changes the home buyer experience on the agent side of life. One of the things that we've heard is, Hey, uh, you know, this has kind of been in the real estate industry for the last decade is it's, it's gotta be so much simpler for the transaction. And there was all these technology companies coming in, trying to disintermediate the real estate agent from the transaction. Consumers don't need real estate agents. They do all the search now and find the properties. Like this is kind of what you hear from some of the naysayers. But as I said to you earlier, the, the reality is more consumers are seeking out the advice and counsel of real estate agents. And what's interesting is we see more of the technology players now that are actually trying to go out and create and invent things for agents to use to be more efficient. Um, there's not a whole lot of technology companies that we see come into play that are trying to disintermediate the agent from the process. It's now, how do we make real estate agents more efficient? Because I think people are realizing that consumers want the advice and counsel of a, a trusted expert on the most valuable and important financial transaction they're going to make in their lifetime. So on the tech side, that's what we're seeing. On the, on the product side, that's what we're seeing. I think those are probably going to lead to the biggest changes for the consumers. I think you're going to over time see a more efficient transaction. I think it's still pretty segregated in terms of the process. You have to do something potentially with a, a mortgage company, and then you got to wait on the mortgage side of the business then the title insurance side of the business and the real estate side of the business. So I think that you're, you're seeing more and more real estate brokers get involved in all of those businesses and, and create a one-stop shopping environment for consumers. And I think you're going to see that continue to grow. A lot of stuff. How about the cities, Rich? You were talking about the trend because of COVID of people moving out of the cities and going to the suburbs where they can work and they can live without having to travel into the city. Do you see any change in that, a reverse migration, if you will, back into the cities over the next several years? Or do you see the city as being less popular a place to live in general than being outside of a city? I think that's a great question, Jeff. So I think the initial reaction from many um, when we were in the depths of the pandemic and the the social unrest issues that were happening uh, in many cities in the U.S., you know, certainly there was a good amount of people that left. And I think a lot of us in the real estate industry thought, "Ooh, this is this is a trend that could continue." But then, lo and behold, uh, I think over the last couple months, uh, New York City, Manhattan has had the biggest sale months ever in terms of transaction volume, like in history. So, wow. you know, the, the trend of, of people leaving New York City certainly uh, is is not there. I think I think the city's back to, you know, transaction volumes, if not more so than, than what they were. I also think that cities tend to be pretty big destinations for international buyers. As you start to see travel restrictions ease up, I think you're going to see demand again from the international buyer in, in the cities, and you're going to see property sales there. Just in, in the midst of everything that was happening with the pandemic, it was incredibly hard for the for that buyer population segment to come in and look at properties and, and make rational decisions about what they were purchasing. So I, I don't want to say that there's a trend, of, a noticeable trend of people leaving cities anymore, but I do believe that you know it is very clear where um, the markets are strong, tend to be, you know, good weather destinations, low tax destinations, Florida, Texas, the Carolinas, Arizona, you know, there's, there's clearly higher demand in those states than we've seen. And that I don't think is going to, um, to subside. That's an interesting point, by the way, about the international. I hadn't thought about that one. That's excellent. My daughter who bought a home 
not unlike many people, and it was in the city, lost out on a home because she offered to pay more than the asking price, but somebody offered more. She eventually bought a house because she was willing to pay more than the asking price. At least here in the United States, I don't know how much you would be able to say about what you're seeing from your comrades overseas. Do you see that trend continuing, that people are going to pay more than the asking price? So the most recent statistic I saw, uh, I think it was in a National Association of Realtors write-up. I think that was the source. Don't quote me on that one. But 50% of the homes sold in the U.S. were above asking price. Wow. Is that some kind of a record? I would assume it would be. During 2020, and, and certainly as, as geographies opened up, like I mentioned earlier, I mean, there were, there were stories of our franchisees that I would talk to that would list a house. I talked to a, our, one of our franchisees in Destin, Florida, and he listed a house. And within 24 hours, he had 36 offers on the house. Oh, my. Like sight unseen offers. You know, a couple I of people know. saw it. But, but, you know, 36 offers on a property in 24 hours is, is absurd. Like we've never heard anything like that. The reality for all the things that I mentioned to you before, Jeff, population growth, lack of new construction, millennial buyers coming on. Yeah. Do I think that, that multiple offer environments are going to continue for a while? Yeah, I do. But it's also geographically driven, you know, and it's, it's, it's where is the most demand? Where are people leaving? Where are people coming and going? I just moved to Southeast Florida. You know, we ended up renting here for a year because every house we were bidding on had 20 or 30 offers and it's not calmed down here. You know, when I say it hasn't calmed down, like it's, I'm not saying they're getting 25 or 30 offers on every home. They're still getting five or 10 offers on every home. Wow. So what impact do you see this having on people who are renting? You talked about the millennials, two thirds of them were renters. That's sort of bucking a trend, but maybe now they're moving over to the other side of the equation. Where do rents fit into all this, Rich? Yeah, look, I, I think it's it's another tough one where I go back and say that, you know, when I was highlighting some of the things that, that worried me, like inflation and some of those issues, you know, I think that the reality is, is that prices have increased quite a bit over the last uh, 18 months. I think they're not going to continue at the same 20% or 25% of year of price increases. But I think the reality is that demand is still much higher than supply. Therefore, prices are going to continue to rise. You know, at what rate, we don't know. But obviously, when prices increase, if renters are spending all their money on their rent check and they're not saving any cash up for a down payment, then you know it's going to be a challenge for them when it comes to transact. But the good news on the renter front is that there is this up and coming trend on power buyers that I talked about where there's companies that are out there willing to finance and, and make you appear like you're an all cash buyer. But any renter is going to have to look at that and see if the interest expense on on that loan is, is going to be worth what they need to do in their minds to accomplish owning a home if that's what they want. Yes. And I would also think that if I'm renting an apartment and I can't afford to buy a home, my rent's not going to go down either, right? My rent is probably going to go up too because I'm boxed out from any options. Yeah, look, rents rents are increasing across the country too. Yeah. You know, again, I'll speak to my personal experience. We we were trying to buy a, a home in Florida, and yeah, like I said, we looked at a couple homes, we put offers in on a couple homes. There was thirty offers. We finally said, all right, why don't we go rent and see if this settles down a little bit? And we went to rent, and we were the tenth of eleven offers that came in on the rental property here. So. Prices of rentals are increasing in different geographies as well. I'm not saying it's that crazy everywhere, but you know, certainly in the low tax and attractive weather destinations, you're seeing increases across the board. Excellent forecasting, Rich. I know it's hard to forecast. We won't go back and check. 
a year from now to see how you're doing. But really interesting things there. And I, by the way, I saw a commercial the other day, first time I've ever seen this, a national TV commercial for somebody that would buy your home. The big pitch to me was, you don't have to do anything to it. You don't have to clean it up. We'll just come in there and buy your house. So that was fascinating that you talked about that as a trend. Looking forward is also called looking forward because that's positive. I'm looking forward to something. And for us in looking forward, it means I'm looking forward to opportunity. A lot of people have lost their jobs. I don't have to tell you about that. You alluded to it. A lot of people are looking to change careers, change jobs. We got students. You got young children. Someday they're going to be going to college. When you think about residential real estate, Rich, where might you see opportunities for entrepreneurs, investors, job seekers, career seekers? If you were guiding a student who was in college, what are some of the key areas of opportunity that you see? Sure, Jeff, I think what's good for those folks that may be contemplating a career in real estate is that you know, there's, it's a pretty low barrier to entry to become a real estate agent. Typically, you know, you, you take a real estate pre-licensing class in, in the States and they vary from state to state, but typically it's somewhere 75, 90 hours of education you have to complete. And then you have to take a state test in order to earn your real estate professional license to be a, a real estate agent in, in that particular state. And there's some continuing ed requirements that you have to return for classes over time. But for the most part, that's, that's the minimum requirement for you to become a real estate agent. Now, I say that being a real estate agent is not for everyone. And I don't know that there's anything more entrepreneurial than being a real estate agent because you yourself are in charge of marketing and business operations and negotiations and knowing all the details and being an expert on your market and expert on properties and valuations, appraisals, et cetera. And certainly the, the finance side of life and, and, and you know, helping your customers understand, you know, based on, on who they are, can they really afford what they're trying to set out to do? Like, you know, really good real estate agents have to have and develop expertise in a lot of areas. So yes, it's easy to become, uh, relatively easy to become a real estate agent. But you know, when you also look at the competitive nature of it, with some exceptions, it's a hundred percent commission-based employment opportunity. So you know, you, you do eat what you kill, and you've got to be in the environment where we're in, where there's not a lot of homes for sale. You got to be a really disciplined person about, and and be really honest with yourself about your skill set and your ability to go out and do the things necessary to compete. And the most important thing for that is being a salesperson. Like you've got to have the ability to network and communicate and reach out and ask people for their business and have a sphere of influence of people that you can call on to try and get them to refer you to others and do those sorts of things. So yeah, there's incredible opportunities, but it is highly competitive. You know, I think what I saw in National Association of Realtors, there's about a million and a half licensed real estate agents in the US and there's a million listings right now. So you would have to have the ability to sit in front of somebody eyeball to eyeball and communicate why you are going to be the best person for them. You know, one of the funniest stories I have from one of our franchisees, uh, I met one of their top agents and, and uh, it was actually a franchisee, Better Homes and Gardens Real Estate, Metro Brokers in Atlanta. And I was talking to this one agent and he said, I went out and got my real estate license after I lost my job in another career. And I went on my first listing appointment and I was so nervous going to the listing appointment. I said, well, what did you say to them that got them to give you this listing? And he said, it was actually really easy. I had nothing to lose. So I just said to them face to face, hey, look, I don't have any other listings. So I have nothing else to work on other than selling your house. 
<laughs> so he goes Great. out and gets the listing, makes the sale, and now he's one of the top agents in the country. I want to say he's closing over 50 or 60 transactions a year now selling homes. Wow. So, wow. you know, done incredibly well. So look, it's possible for anybody to be successful in the real estate business, but you, you have to be honest with yourself and know what you're getting into. Like you're, this is the most competitive time in the real estate industry. And you are competing with people that are very driven and have experience and they're going to go out and, and do the things necessary to be good salespeople. And if you're not good at communicating or, you know, you're shy about cold calling and, and, and networking and being in front of people, you might want to think twice about it. Yeah. How about the ancillary kinds of jobs that are a part of real estate? There's building, there's mortgages and all this other stuff. And then also, how about the investing side and the opportunities in those areas? Yeah, sure. So yeah, you asked about opportunities in real estate. Obviously, the first thing that comes to mind is is being a real estate agent. There certainly are plenty of support jobs and managerial jobs out there that actually make a lot of sense for those specifically in the hospitality industry that lost their jobs because they were so impacted and people that have a lot of experience in service businesses, whether in restaurants or whatever. You don't have to be a good salesperson to be good in the real estate business. There are absolutely managerial jobs that are out there. We have franchisees that run multiple offices that are always looking for managers of salespeople that can coach salespeople to be better salespeople. There's transaction coordinators and administrative assistant jobs and things that support the real estate agents to help them be more efficient and do what they're best at, which is selling. Like not every good, not every salesperson's good at the operational side of the business. So there's plenty of operational uh, opportunities. As I mentioned, there's 90,000 real estate brokerages in the U.S. There's plenty of opportunities to get in, and certainly the, the biggest, most sophisticated companies that are running multi-office brokerages, they are always looking for better employees in their organizations. And, and certainly, there's been a, a pretty big pool to work with now, though it's been quite competitive, obviously. But there's there's more and more folks that left one industry thinking they'd make more money in another industry that that are certainly looking at, at real estate opportunities. So huge opportunity for those folks out there that are looking at that. On the investing side of the business, I think investing in real estate has always been lucrative. When you look at, at the potential to own properties and, and you look at what the returns are in real estate by owning a property versus in, investing in other areas, whether it's a stock market or, or other areas, over, over time, home values typically appreciate somewhere in the neighborhood of 5% a year. If you own a home and it appreciates 5% a year, and then you know, you're able to, to finance it in such a way that the consumer that you're renting to is covering the cost of your mortgage payment, you know, then basically you're getting an appreciable asset that you're not really paying too much out of pocket for. And it does come with pretty good tax benefits uh, to be a landlord in, in, in years where, you know, you might have some vacancies here or there, or you have to make upgrades to the home and then certainly depreciation expense on the home. So there's plenty of great investing opportunities in real estate. Obviously, it's it's a little trickier and, and more challenging now to go out and buy you know some properties because you need more cash down to be able to, to mortgage them and finance them because the property values have gone up. Uh, but investors that are, are looking to diversify portfolio from stocks and bonds and other areas, real estate's a tremendous place to do it. Would you see any opportunities in terms of the public companies that you spoke of or the real estate investment trusts over time, or is that a little bit more speculative? Look, you're, you're, you're certainly seeing companies come out that are, are buying big blocks of properties. You know, uh, we mentioned iBuying. One of the biggest players in iBuying was Zillow. And they've announced they've gotten out of the business. They couldn't, you know, they, they, they were not figuring out how to make money doing it at scale nationwide, uh, which I think, by the way, is going to be challenging for anybody to do. 
buying cookie cutter property in the Southern US that doesn't necessarily face some of the the challenging things like, you know, buying a, a property in Northeast where a home has to go through through winter and have, uh, you know, snow and wind beating up on roofs and buried underground oil tanks that are a complete X factor in the, in the environmental side of the business, which could totally derail a transaction. You know, it's just... And, and by the way, much higher average sales price in some of these markets as well. Like it's just not that easy to go in and be one of these buyers that can just go buy these things and, and put a minimal amount of money in to paint them and do some work to the property and flip it and, and then find a way to make profit at scale. So I think that's that's kind of challenge. Zillow got out of it, but one of the things you saw why I started down this talk track is is you know Zillow owned a couple thousand homes and and they found one buyer, one investment trust came in and bought the whole block of you know two or three thousand properties, whatever it was. So wow. there are those organizations out there. I think um, you know the National Association of Realtors report was that uh, over the last year about fifteen percent of homes that are purchased in the U.S. are done so by investors, whether they're individual investors or you know these these aggregate investors. So those opportunities certainly exist out there and people make money on these things. So it's not surprising to me that you would see big organizations or real estate investment trusts or banks buying blocks of property and, and hiring property managers to take care of them because they make money on them. Good points. Good opportunities. One of the things we like to do on Looking Forward Rich is we have an expert. In your case, you're an expert on residential real estate. And we like to have our expert provide some tips to our listeners, in this case, how they might become savvier buyers or sellers of homes. Can you give us just a few tips from your vantage point? You've got a lot of experience and expertise here. Yeah, sure. So like anything else, I think it's easy as a consumer to sit and look at fees charged for services provided and say, eh, I'm going to go try this one on my own and see if I can figure it out. And look, when you're buying a $200 DVD player or you know, computer or AirPods or iPhone, you know, $1,000 iPhone, whatever, you're probably willing to be a little bit more aggressive and risky to do that. I don't think it's wise for people to go think they know everything about a real estate transaction because they went through one once. Real estate transactions can be extremely tricky and I think having the advice and counsel of a strong real estate agent that is working with a real estate broker that's got vast amount of experience in the local marketplace is critical. I think having a good attorney is always a wise thing to do. I think having a very smart accountant, if you're going to get in the investment side and go out and, and, and try and become a landlord or start a business owning a portfolio of properties or a property, a good accountant is going to advise you on the do's and don'ts. Listen, like like anything else in life, you having a, a group of trusted advisors is critical to your success. If you're going out and looking to, to sell your home just because you want to move somewhere, I think the, the critical piece is having a good advisor and a really strong real estate agent that can walk you through the process so you know what you're expecting. I think like anything, it's the unknowns in a transaction that will drive you nuts I've been through real estate transactions, you know, where unexpected things came up that, you know, in my mind were like, oh my God, chicken little sky's falling. This isn't going to happen now to having a trusted advisor say, hey, listen, I've seen this like five times. <laughs> we can deal with it this way, or you can just give up a couple thousand dollars here and it's going to go smoothly. You can get it if you're willing to spend the time on it. You can negotiate this way. And then they just, they, they make you realize, hey, you know, there's options on how to get through the transaction. 
I've got to make the decision as a consumer of which way I want to go. But, you know, it, it can be a pretty daunting task to try and represent yourself. Now, listen, sometimes it's going to go easy peasy, one, two, three, and you're going to walk out of there saying, hey, you know, I hit the lottery on this one. This is great. But when it doesn't go so smooth, you know, you're, you're going to be wishing that you, you spent the money on the commission for the professional that guided you through it. Those are excellent points, Rich. I've never tried to sell a property by myself. And one of the things I've learned is if you arbitrarily decide to list your property at a very high price because you feel so connected to it and so in love with it, that could be one of the worst mistakes you make because it might just sit there and sit there and all of a sudden becomes a stale property and you end up selling it for a lot less than maybe you would have if you'd spoken with a realtor. Yeah, well, that's one of the things, right? Because of that access to data. I mean, you can go on many of these websites and, and you know, you can see as a consumer, hey, when was the property listed? Everybody else's house is selling in a week. This property has been sitting there for three months. Let's just go in and lowball and, and offer, you know, $100,000 less and see what happens. It's like, then then those become the only offers you get. And then it just sits and sits and sits and sits. And, you know, not pricing a property is uh, something that could really derail your ability to sell it. Absolutely. Rich, this has been great. A lot of valuable information, great insights. I'm wondering if you could let our listeners know how they could find out more about you, about Realogy. Sure. So, um, you know, first off, you can find out more about Realogy at our website, www.realogy.com. That's R-E-A-L-O-G-Y, Realogy.com. If you're looking to connect with me, I'm on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm sure Jeff will have uh, my name and spelling and stuff up there that, yes. that you guys can check that out and search for me. Welcome any requests to connect. Feel free to shoot me a, a message on either of those platforms, or you can reach me by email at rich.dinacola at realogy.com. Terrific. Rich, thanks again so much for your time and for sharing your expertise with us. I wish you much continued success, and I hope that you and your wife and your kids love the experience of living in Florida. Jeff, thank you and your listeners for having me on today. Really appreciate the opportunity to come chat. It's been uh, a lot of fun spending time here. Thank you. This concludes part two of our two-part series on residential real estate trends, opportunities, and the future with our guest expert, Rich DiNicola. If you have any questions you'd like to ask Rich or me, please contact me at my website, www.jeff-ostroff.com. And if you like this episode, I'd really appreciate your liking it or giving it a positive review on the podcast hosting site where you listen to it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Looking Forward. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something. I also hope that you'll tell others about our show. If you have any comments or ideas for future episodes, please contact me at my website, jeff-ostroff.com. That's J-E-F-F-Ostroff, O-S-T-R-O-F-F.com. This is Jeff Ostroff inviting you to join us again next time on Looking Forward. <laughs>